Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of Source Financial, host of the main channel podcast, and the host of the Source Financial YouTube channel, of course, back with another one. Before I, I describe what's going on in this episode, obviously, want to send out uh, well wishes to the audience with the whole coronavirus situation spreading globally. I am currently in BGC, Manila, Philippines. We're on like a lockdown, so for a, pretty much 30 days, like it's been it's been about 10 days so far. So what that means is uh, BGC is kind of like the central, it's the central business district of Manila. And it's kind of like this little small, you know, mini Manhattan. Um, and it's usually buzzing every day because the banks, all the banks are here. You have pretty much the, you know, sort of the 1% or 10% of people that live in Manila that make X amount of money, including expats that live in this area, and it's kind of it's very manicured and nice, and it's all high-end restaurants, you know, uh, high-end shopping malls and designer stuff and all that. So like, it's usually quite busy. Even even for people that don't live in in PGC, they usually come into PGC to work. So <laughs> it's pretty quiet. It's it's like a ghost town. And so they're basically they've created a border around BGC, and if you want to come into BGC, you have to have a sort of work certificate. You have to have proof that you live here, or you have like a certificate of employment. On top of that, they have uh, a curfew. Essentially, they encourage people to stay home from around 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. I don't know how enforced that is. Like I've definitely seen some people and cars driving around after 8 p.m. But it's just in general, there's just not that many people outside. I'm actually planning on, at some stage this week, going outside during the day and and sort of walking around and just documenting how how quiet it is for a central business district. And all the restaurants and shops are closed. The only shops that are open are convenience stores and, and supermarkets. So yeah, interesting times that we live in. That being said, uh, maybe this will be something that could take your mind off of the the coronavirus if you want to learn more about what's going on with me and just the general business climate with the coronavirus you can check out the youtube channel i actually just released a video yesterday on the sort of industry that's popped up uh, around sourcing masks from china and and sort of best practices because a lot of people are losing money a lot of people are getting ripped off so just want to make sure i wanted to make a quick video again disclaimer i'm like not a medical expert so i might not get some of the terminologies correct and i I don't talk about how effective the masks are at protecting people from the virus but if people are buying hundreds of millions and or you know billions of masks are going to be made in the next couple of months then you know we at least have to try to source the correct ones and make sure that you know you're not getting ripped off so that being said gonna check that out check out the youtube channel um and this episode, I sat down with David Abuzowitz. He is the CEO of Offer Rock Capital. Previously, we've had Alex on the podcast and the former CEO, um, Mark Rocca. Not that anything bad happened. He just stepped down because he had other interests. So yeah, David uh, is actually one of my closest friends here in Manila. Like uh, I've partied with him quite a bit. I've had you know conversations about life. We've had 5 a.m. mornings where we were talking about our family. He's a really bright guy and and you know fun guy to be around and just overall good guy. Showed me around the city a lot and he sat down and I think the interesting thing about this podcast is him sort of explaining 
how far Alpha Rock has come since I interviewed Mark like a year ago. So yeah, it's just interesting to see the progression. They they progressed a lot. Like I think he said, they're close to 40, 50 employees. They're setting up. Uh, they're building out their own private office. Like they've acquired probably ten Amazon businesses in the last year. Like you know, so it, they've done they've done quite a bit. I think it's a very interesting podcast. And there's also a video component to this. So if you want to check out the video version, we sat down at the Refined. Check out the YouTube channel and enjoy. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. So let's start from the beginning then. Like, where were you born? What led you to coming to the Philippines? So originally I was born in Miami Beach, Florida. I basically grew up there, never really traveled that many places, you know, road trips here and there, but never too far from home. When I was in college, I took the opportunity to study abroad in Milan, Italy. That was my first experience outside the US, a uh, pretty positive one. I got to see 18 countries in Europe on that trip, something like that. So that was pretty awesome. I enjoyed Europe, but it wasn't quite what I was looking for. It wasn't different enough from home. It still felt very, I guess, Western Yeah, should be the word for it. You were looking for more adventure. Yeah, I was looking for something, uh, you know, big cultural differences that I wasn't expecting as much. Yeah. And so I uh, took a job with uh, IBM doing artificial intelligence consulting and implementation at Fortune 500 companies. Uh, so I lived in Manhattan, worked for them for a little over a year. And then one of my friends who worked at Amazon, he quit his job. He moved out to the Philippines to help a guy that we went to, another guy that we went to college with um, to run this photography studio catered towards Amazon sellers. At the time, I didn't have that much exposure to Amazon besides as a customer. I knew people were selling on Amazon and whatever, but didn't think anything of it really. While I was studying abroad, actually, I had met my first batch of Amazon sellers, a bunch of guys we randomly met up in Portugal, in Lisbon, and had a really good time with them. They told me about what they did, and I found it pretty cool, but I didn't think much of it. So my friend quit his job, came to the Philippines. Uh, he was my best friend, so I hadn't seen him for maybe a few months, three or four months. And uh, it was my birthday, so I took a little vacation leave, came out here. They offered me a job to come out here and be their director of technology. I said yes. So I went back, and my first day back at IBM, I told my manager, hey, I'm putting in my two weeks notice. Like, and she just looked at me with the craziest expression, like I was a madman. It's like, what happened in the Philippines? You were there for you know, not even two weeks, yeah. and now you just come back and quit. Like, yeah, I'm going to move out there and help uh, scale the startup. So. Yeah, I took that opportunity, came out to the Philippines, moved here to BGC. Uh, really cool place. Um, it's nice. So, so it, when you first came that on that trip, that was just pure vacation, right? You weren't. Yeah. You weren't thinking I'm gonna move here. Or just... I mean, I had some sort of idea that the guys were gonna be like, "Yeah, quit your job, come out here." But <laughs> I, I didn't know what I was getting into. I'd never been to Asia. I remember my, I took a little stop in Hong Kong for three days as kind of a layover before coming here. And that was just crazy. Uh, I really liked it, but it was also 
I, I don't think I would have moved there. It was so far out of my comfort zone that I think it was it was a nice little vacation type of thing, but I, I couldn't have moved to Hong Kong right then and there. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, Philippines, beautiful country. The people are very friendly and speak a lot of English. So when I came here, I was amazed at how easy it was to live here and just be here. And I thought, this could be home. Like, it, it's really cool. And I met a couple entrepreneurs while I was out here. That made me think, okay, you know, there's a lot of opportunity out here. It's not just with these guys and the guys that I knew that moved here, but there's a ton of entrepreneurs doing their thing in Asia and something I want to be a part of. Yeah, that was one of my uh, pleasant surprises when I was here last year for a month was I, w I was coming here for a month to see what it would be like to live here, but I thought, I was thinking of it more from the lifestyle side of things. But I, I had this in the back of my mind, I was like, whatever place I move to has to have some business opportunities, otherwise I'm just, just going to be like unproductive. Yep. And then uh, when I met you and, and Mark, and then you guys brought me here, and then you introduced me to a bunch of people, I was like, okay, yeah, that was like the, the last component to the puzzle for me, and I was like, all right, fuck it. You know, I'm definitely moving out here. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's really awesome. I meet a new entrepreneur at least once a week, someone that I didn't know. And like, uh, there's there's a bunch of people in the online business community that are out here already. I actually ran into uh, Joe McNaughty today, the CEO of Empire Flippers. We were just having lunch and uh, saw him. Hey Joe, how's it going? Came yeah. over, chatted for a little bit. We're actually, well, I haven't gotten to that part, but we're actually a customer of his now, not with the photo studio, so that's quite nice. Uh, we have a good rapport with him. But yeah, we're sitting here in the refines, like Noel, Canadian entrepreneur, came out here, like started something awesome. There's all sorts of opportunity here. Talk to me about why did you want to leave the States? Was it just because you were looking for something bigger or you're looking or you were just bored or is it just that the general, you know, early twenties like looking for adventure? So I've always been like pretty crazy about technology, I like it a lot, but I'm not like a programmer, I, I don't, I can program, I don't like sitting in front of a computer just programming all day long, that's, that's not me. Uh, I really like the business development side of technology, so that job at IBM seemed pretty ideal for me, I was a consultant working with tech, you know, I was so psyched when I got it, but then in actuality I got there and it was basically just another corporate job, like so I think that was number one, is I really hated the corporate environment. It was like, come up with a good idea, wait two months to three months before you hear anything from your supervisors about whether you're allowed to do it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm one of those guys that's like, okay, good idea, how do we implement, let's do it, yeah, not true, yeah. let's sit around. So, you know, I had a lot of wasted time there where I was just waiting for things to happen because of corporate. Uh, so I wanted to get out of corporate. I saw the startup environment. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But also part of my job was, and I think this was the kicker, the project that I was working on, I was sitting in a windowless conference room all day. Oh my God. So like we got there <laughs> at 7.30 to 8 a.m. every day and like sat in this windowless conference room. The only way you knew time was going by was because it was ticking by on your laptop. Yeah. And like you had to stay there until basically the boss left at 7 or 8 p.m. So you're sitting in a windowless conference room for 12 hours. So I came out here, little vacation, met up with the guys, we'd like work for three, four hours, go to the gym, have lunch, go back to work for another three, four hours, go out, have dinner. And then the second half of the trip, we took this little trip down to Batangas province, which uh, is close to Manila and has some pretty nice beaches. So we stayed at a little resort there, you know, worked from our laptops. And like that was a life that 
you know, I would never pass up. I, I didn't, you know, I saw this opportunity to, to get out of the corporate environment, cubicles, conference rooms, and just get into, this is whatever you want. Uh, you want to work from a beach? You can. You want to yeah. work from an office here? You can. You can even do whatever, wherever. We're working from a gentleman's lounge right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Not Basically a, a men's spa, lounge. essentially. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, it's funny because when I talk to people like online, like people that watch the YouTube videos and stuff like that, they're just like, man, so like, what is Manila? Like everybody, people just don't really know what it's like here. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of like... Doing these kind of videos is kind of like um, I have a mixed mixed feeling about it because it's like I don't want to tell people, but at the same time I can't help myself. And it's kind of like um, yeah. we we have this joke like when somewhere something good, you say wherever it is sucks, don't come. Yeah. So it's like yeah, Manila sucks. Don't don't come. Don't come. <laughs> it's horrible. But like it's horrible. you know, if you really want to come, you're, you're the kind of person that we want here, so you should come. Yeah. But if you think if you think it's horrible here, yeah, don't come. We don't want you. I, it brings up a, an interesting question. Who, who do you think, what's the profile of sort of the, the Western entrepreneurs that are here? In compare, I guess you can compare it to like Chiang Mai or some of these other places where there's digital nomads. Yeah, so that's, right? that's definitely, I would say, the biggest difference, right? Like, yeah. I could not categorize myself as a digital nomad. I thought that's what I was. I'm not the kind of guy that has one backpack and can just move around from place to place and work with the bare minimum. You know, I, I like a little bit of that posh feeling. I like feeling at home. So I, I like to travel, but I like to have a home base. So Chiang Mai, from what I've seen, I've been there a couple times. It's a lot of digital nomads, people finding their way. Even of the guys that base there, it's, it's mostly, uh, you know, guys that run purely their own company that generally keep it a little smaller not too many people definitely VAs and all that stuff yeah. but um, you know here it's it's definitely different you've got a lot of talent at your disposal so hiring Filipinos there's a lot of good talent here um, all very good for English speaking so generally bigger businesses here we have about 40 people working for us right now I know Empire Flippers is around 55, including the remote staff, something like that. So I would say the people at base in Manila generally consider it their home base yeah. and aren't quite as transient as in other places. You think that um, the age range is a little bit older? I'd say it's pretty skewed. So like most of our friends are either late 30s, early 40s, or mid 20s. Actually, I take that back. I mean, most of my company is in their early 30s, so yeah. it's it's kind of all over the place. Like, there's not. There, there's not such a big diverse. There's a huge diversification. I think, I think with, like you said, Vanilla for a lot of people is a long-term sort of base. Yeah. I think it could also be a starting place for some people. Like, um, I mean, it was for you, obviously, but even the the some of the guys who go to Chiang Mai, the reason why they go there is because it's inexpensive and yes. you know they have all these Western amenities and all that stuff. But I mean, you have the same things here. Uh, it's just maybe slightly at, at more a expensive. Price, yeah, but, it's, but even then, it's not really that much more expensive. Like you could, you could definitely live. In terms of earning you know, U.S. dollars, so of course I follow like the digital nomad subreddit and yeah. you know know a bunch of guys in Chiang Mai. I think you can start in Chiang Mai at like one thousand, one thousand two hundred dollars a month kind of budget. Yeah. And you'll be you'll be okay there, Manila. Like that would be quite tight in BGC at least, and even in Makati, you'd have to live. Maybe in like Mandaluyong, um, one of the other areas. Not to say that's bad or anything like that, but definitely the the main areas with all the foreigners are quite pricey here. Yeah. Um, so I would 
I would say it's mostly people who have developed their business a little bit more. I think you could have start by, yeah, I was going to say, like, I think Chiang Mai is like the perfect starting place and then you can sort of jump to a place like yeah. Manila or, or Bangkok or something like that. I, I would say once you earn about 2,000 US a month, yep. is, that's very, very comfortable living in Manila. Like at that price, I was living in a house with two other guys because we wanted to and uh, we shared a maid and we were living in like a penthouse. It was, it was pretty nice at, at 2K US a month. Um, now I'm making a little bit more than that and life is even more posh, you know. <laughs> have this place, have a dog, have a maid just for the dog basically. So. <laughs> you have a babysitter for your dog. Yeah, more or less. Um, you know, she takes care of him when I travel, she takes care of him while I'm at the office so he's not alone, you yeah. know. Sure, no, I agree. I think it's, it's interesting because like having spent quite a bit of time in Chiang Mai and a lot of my friends the profile is different here. I just I feel like it's a high, like a higher end entrepreneur, and like you said, I feel like the, the usually their businesses are a little bit more developed, or at least they're taking it more seriously yeah. in that sense. Like you can definitely still have the, you know, two man operation with oh, VAs here and stuff like that. But what I liked is because I'm coming from sort of corporate China, like where I had an office with employees and all that stuff, and uh, a lot of my business friends in Hong Kong are in similar situations. I don't really, I think I, st I still kind of see myself as a digital nomad, but I don't really identify too much with that lifestyle yeah. because I want to build something. I want to build a, a structure, you know, with people and, you know. It's um, great to have yeah. that support network. Yeah. Like, as I said, home base. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not just about the place, it's about the people there, It's about right? the people for sure. Yeah. And that's, are we still rolling? Yeah, now we're oh, awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, that's actually what, what really drew me in here. So I, you know, the job that I came out here for, I quit after about three months. Uh, due I, was, to, I was about to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, due to um, differences in vision, let's say. But yeah, when when and, I was deciding to quit, and then, and then how much, how long, like a year later, you you, you bought the company? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, we can we can go into that one a little bit later. But um, you know, it's what really kept me here when I was when I was thinking about quitting. I'm like, oh, does this mean I need to go back to the U.S.? What do I do? You know, I need I need to do something else, and thankfully, I ended up partnering with Mark Roca, who I think's been on your podcast before once or twice. Yeah, and yeah, figured out what I was going to do. But when I was living here, I'm like, okay, listen, I, I should stay here no matter what because there's a ton of opportunity here. There's guys running their companies that would hire me. I would have applied for jobs at Empire Flippers or something like that. There's definitely a lot of options here. So. So which means um, leads me to the next question is like, how did you meet Mark, and then? <laughs> How did you join the Alpha Rock? So on that original trip out here when I was just kind of scouting, you know, taking a little birthday vacation, the guys that I was with invited one of their friends who was a client of the company. Of, it was This was a photography studio, so completely different from anything I had done before. But Jordan. They invited one of, yeah, buddy Jordan just walked in. They invited one of their clients who, he does Amazon now, but he used to be a uh, professional poker player. Yeah. And so he and Mark knew each other through poker. And so Mark came along on the trip with his girlfriend at the time. And, um, you know, we went down to the Tangas, had a good time. I just, I don't know what Mark struck me as. He's a very eccentric guy. <laughs> when I, I first met him, I'm like, this, this guy from yeah. a country that most people have never heard of. Yeah. And like completely eccentric, completely uh, different from anything I'd ever experienced before. You know, he, he struck me as interesting the first time I came out here, but we didn't really talk after that. I came back, started working, met up with him again after maybe a month of being here. And then, you know, we just kind of hit it off. We were chatting 
you know, maybe at least once or twice a week hanging out. And um, when I told him that I wasn't happy at that job, he's like, come, we'll find, we'll figure out something for you to do. I have these businesses, maybe <laughs> we can run them, like we'll do something. Yep. And that something turned into Alpharat Capital, um, along with his partner at the time, Velas, and we picked up a few, quite a few more as well along the way. But yeah, so it was completely random chance. And then I took a leap on this guy who had no real plan at the time. Mark always has these plans up in his head, but no one can really tell what's going on. But uh, yeah, took that leap, and then we formed this company that is now worth. Well, it's, it's we're doing we're doing pretty well. Yeah, I was gonna ask as you, do you think you can explain? what Alpharoth does better than Mark did. Yeah, so... Because <laughs> I had some comments on the channel being like, sounds like a scam. <laughs> to, to put it as simply as possible, yeah. um, originally we were just acquiring Amazon FBA businesses. At one point we explored other am avenues about any business related to Amazon, including, as Rico mentioned, the photo studio that I worked for in the past. Now we're refocusing directly on Amazon because selling Amazon FBA is like the most profitable thing mm. when you can like dollar for dollar versus anything else. Amazon affiliates is awesome. We've experimented with that a little bit, but dollar for dollar does not make as much. Service business is a bear to manage, especially with all the people. It's fun, but uh, when you look at investment versus in versus out, FBA is the way. So. We basically buy small sellers FBA businesses and roll them up into bigger business that can ship more goods, get better shipping rates, you know, pay for inventory so that we're always in stock. With the coronavirus, you know, people are complaining that They're everyone's out of stock. stock. Yeah. I chose to buy four months of stock before Chinese New Year just in case the factories took too long to start Time up to again. Back, so yeah. we're sitting pretty right now. And yeah, so thankfully when you, when you roll up a bunch of small businesses like that, you get a lot more buying power, a lot more negotiating power. And so that's what we do is we just take small people's Amazon businesses, put them together and make more money. And then the, the long-term vision is to just build out the portfolio and you have investors and then Yeah, so maybe we have investors that come in. We're gonna continue to expand the portfolio. The more businesses we get, the cheaper everything gets as a whole. As I said, originally we were exploring other avenues. Those have kind of bridged off into their own ventures. So Alpha Rock just does FBA, and that's all that we'll do until it's no longer the most profitable investment. That's basically our thesis is yeah. we're doing FBA now because it's the most profitable thing we know of until it's not. Until it's not. And if that changes, we'll sell it off the portfolio and go do something else. But for right now, it's incredibly profitable. I think I asked Mark the same question at the time. It sounds, it's like one of those things where when you when you explain, especially for somebody like me that's been dealing with Amazon for four or five years, I'm like, why hasn't anybody else done this? And I, I think you guys only have like one major competitor, right? Like, Yeah, so it's actually the space, we're already starting to see people jumping in. When we first started this, we had one major, what we'd consider a competitor with the exact same business model. Um, their name's Thrasio, you can look them up. I think they've raised somewhere in the eight or nine figure range now. So they've raised quite a bit of money, but they're essentially a traditional private equity fund based in the US, out of Texas, I believe. They hire American, you know, well-educated graduates who come at very expensive cost. Thus, they can really only buy businesses that are in the seven-figure range. You don't really see them reaching down below the $1 million mark in terms of business value very much to buy. Yeah. 
but that's our sweet spot. Like we look mostly in the 100,000 to 500,000 dollar list price range for businesses because those businesses are still more or less run by individuals who we believe haven't fully optimized their business. And so it provides a lot of opportunity for improvement, whereas someone that has a million dollar business or more uh, generally has tried to optimize the business to the best of their ability. So for us, we have this little sweet spot that we're in that we don't have any competitors in. There are one or two new competitors that are jumping into that multi-million dollar space where the private equity funds operate. But so far, thankfully, because we're in a country with the lower cost of labor, we can pay our account managers really, really well here. They, they got a huge bump from their last job whenever they come on board. And so they're really happy we pay them well and the businesses operate well for and cheap for us. Operating right? expenses yeah. are significantly lower than yeah, exactly. in other places. Like yeah. one-tenth, maybe. It's crazy. Yeah. So you think basically the, the companies that are 100 to 500 grand in value typically have more potential for growth of the investment than a company that's in the seven-figure plus range? Yeah, when you look at FBA sellers, you know, most of these companies start companies, right? They're, they're small, small enterprises. Maybe they reach the medium enterprise level, but they started because someone found a product that they wanted to sell on Amazon and they sourced the product mm -hmm. and spent, you know, usually on the higher end, 50,000 of initial investment on inventory. But most of them then had to wait for that inventory to sell before reordering. It leads to out of stocks. Um, it leads to inefficient levels of ordering. They can't order enough for bulk discounts, things of that nature. So yeah, we feel that there's a lot of things that can be optimized. Um, for, for us, one of the biggest ones has been shipping rates. The difference between shipping half a container and a full container, you save a ton of money by shipping yep. a full container yep. and purchasing all of that in bulk. Um, so it's a pretty common role of strategy. It, you know, it's acquisition and uh, yeah, it's been done before in every other industry. And this one is just new enough and now we believe finally like legitimate enough Mature, and mature that's enough the case. Well. Yeah. yeah. So like yeah, because you have like when I said on Mark that time we were talking about is like even my client profiles changed three, four years ago. I was, I was dealing with a lot of people that were just starting their Amazon businesses and were, you know, maybe had like 20 grand to spend on an order. Um, and then we also had to figure that's why we came up with all these like smaller services that we could help those guys and still be profitable. Now I notice that I'm, I'm getting a lot more clients that have been running their businesses for four years and they want to build themselves out of it. They don't want to deal with the supply chain management anymore. So it is like at that stage where you have these entrepreneurs that you know kind of want to maybe have, have taken it as far as they, they, they can or they want to and you know they're ripe to sell. Like, you know, yeah. yeah, and that's the thing. It's, so a lot of people ask us like, you know, why can you guys find these businesses that are profitable that people are selling? That makes no sense. And usually, especially at the range that we're acquiring, as I mentioned, they're individuals. And maybe that person, you know, they don't want to run their business anymore. They don't want to have to worry about their income stream constantly. We've bought a couple businesses from moms who just, you know, they were stay-at-home moms and they want to take care of their kid and they found a product to sell and they were selling it, but now they want to spend more time with their child. They don't want to have a you know, 40 hour a week job managing their inventory and all yep. these things. So we've bought the business from them and they're ecstatic because it basically provides the college fund for their kid, which is awesome. And they get to spend more time with their child. So, you know, things like that, you know, that's why someone's willing to sell a profitable business to us. And when it's just one person operating that business, you can't do, one person can't do everything. Yeah, especially I mean, when Amazon is such, it's such a unique marketplace because it's like anybody 
especially four years ago, five years ago, anybody, if they found a decent product, could start it up for five grand and then build it into a $40,000 a month company, right? And then these are not necessarily entrepreneurs. Just like you said, maybe a stay-at-home mom who is trying to make some extra money on the side and it becomes something else and then she's like, ah, I kind of don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, 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 that's absolutely the case. Um, So it's nice because it it provides us the ability to do what we do, um, but also to give people the money that they want and get out of the that daily grind and do whatever else they're passionate about. So many people tell us that they started it by accident. It's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> I was gonna ask, so you, that competitor that's like based out of the States, the private equity fund, besides the fact that you're physically in the Philippines and the, all the expensive stuff, your prox- proximity to China, does that make a difference? Yeah, absolutely. So you're always gonna have a problem on one side or the other. When you're operating in the US, maybe you're operating on the same time zone as investors and Amazon US support and things of that nature. But when you're operating on the same time zone as China, for example, my employees all day are messaging suppliers, hey, can we do this? Like, what about doing this? Can we change our packaging to make it this way and save us costs? Things of that nature. So we get to work pretty closely with the manufacturers. We're also close enough to fly there and take a sourcing trip if we need to at any given point. And the mainly working on the same time zone I find incredibly beneficial. It's only maybe once every two or three months that I have to stay up until 11 or 12. So right before I go to sleep, I make a call to Amazon US support, get some big problem that we've been having that we couldn't deal with Amazon Philippines or India support. So yeah, I mean, I find it way more beneficial to be here than in the US. Yeah. When I spoke to Mark a year ago, how many employees did you guys have? Uh, if you talked to him a year ago, I think that there were three of us that were considered managers and then like two employees or three employees at that time. And then now you guys are close to what? 40. 40. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that's the photography studio. We have a pretty big team there. We think we're going to spin it off into its own thing because that's what makes sense from a portfolio angle. A service business operates very functionally different than FBA businesses. But yeah, yeah, we have a lot of employees there, but we've also grown the FBA team. Now I think we're 10 on that side and we're moving to a new office that should allow our biggest you know, uh, constraint has been the office. So um, we got an office in a co-working space that had four seats originally for those of us that came every day. Then we were in a seven seat office and most days we have 10 to 12 people in a seven seat office, but there's no other co-working spaces in the building. So we started building out our own full office that will fit 30 people, have a full-size boardroom, uh, one or two extra meeting rooms, a management office. So that'll really enable us to grow. We have five open positions right now on the FBA team that we're looking to fill, and that should all be going through in early April. March, we have a bunch of conferences we're going to. Who else came on to the management team? So originally it was Mark, uh, who bought the first business. Vedas, who was his financial partner at the time, but did nothing with Amazon, and then me operating them with the employees. Vedas now does a lot of our financial forecasting and legal-related things. Vedas is also a former poker player and has a mathematical and logical mind like I've never seen before. Um, So really happy to have him on board and and working on this. Uh, He used to run, well, he retired from pro poker, then started a quantitative hedge fund that traded based on risk and volatility, and then was doing okay with that, but realized how profitable FBA was considering he was invested in it, and yeah. basically closed down the hedge fund to put everything into this. Then we've also brought on board uh, Alexander Avanth. He is our investor relations, and is also currently leading the photography studio. 
And he was he, an early investor as well. Yeah, he was an early investor. We brought him on a little over a year ago just as an investor. He was working a corporate job here in the Philippines. Um, was a pretty high-ranking executive there. I, just, I had him on, his episode was out like four months ago. He was on the, he was on the channel. Yeah, yeah so I guess uh, you guys have met him, but uh, Alex is amazing. Really good interpersonal skills. Um, whenever it comes to investors and HR-related stuff, he's, he's the bomb. He's pretty great. We also brought on Mike Michelini. I'm sure some a lot of your viewers are familiar. Yeah, definitely a lot of crossover with the audience. Yeah, Mike's a great guy. Um, I think we just had an article yesterday where he was quoted in the Wall Street Journal, and then two weeks ago, maybe on BBC. Yeah. Uh, I think we have something else coming out, maybe around 3, 3, 3 a.m. here tomorrow. Our talking, time. To, talking about yeah. how the coronavirus is infecting, yeah. well, affecting uh, Amazon businesses, people running out of stock and yep. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Mike's great. He um, he's our director of content. He drives a lot of you know, traffic to us, and a lot of people find us through him. We also brought on uh, Alexa Kalingo. We met her here. She has an MBA in the U.S. Went to med school for a little while. She's basically running the entire back end of the photography studio, managing 25 people, more or less. So she's pretty great. And on the management team, we just flew in um, our newest member, David De Souza. He runs our accounting, finance, and controls related to that. He's awesome. Having him on board is great. He's Portuguese, but also from Andorra. So yeah, we're, we're starting to find talent. We have talent discovery program, more or less, that has just started up. We just had our first guy come out two weeks ago from an MIT-partnered school in Kuala Lumpur. Mm -hmm. So that could be interesting. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of local talent that we're looking at poaching as well. Nice. What were some of the difficulties that you faced in the last year? Oh man, <laughs> I think I was telling you one about earlier. So um, twice in the last year, TransferWise has closed all of our accounts. Last yeah. year it was a pretty big deal. So, you know, we were just up and running, had two or three businesses at the time. We we're using TransferWise for a lot of banking and business stuff. Our legal structure was based in Singapore. And, you know, one day we were, I think we were at a party at night and it's like 10 p.m. and I walk in the party and Mark comes up, he's like, TransferWise just closed all our accounts. It's like, what? All the accounts, personal, business, everything. Basically, TransferWise didn't like that we weren't paying very much in fees, but we were sending a lot of money through because that's kind of the nature of the e-commerce business. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically, we didn't have another bank. Singaporean banking is not great. You kind of have to like physically be there to open accounts and when you're acquiring new businesses that need their own account all the time, it's not feasible. It's like Hong Kong. Yeah. So, um, you know, we figured out the U.S. has the best financial structure you can possibly have, more or less. It's really easy to open bank accounts, especially for subsidiaries, which is how we structure it. So, um, yeah, we flew there, opened the first account and every other account since can be opened remotely, more or less, uh, once you find a bank to partner with you. So that's all been well and good. We use TransferWise again for the US entity now for some international payments. Yesterday they closed all of our accounts without giving us a reason. So we will not be using TransferWise anymore, unfortunately. That yeah. was a big struggle last year. This year it doesn't affect us too much. We have some good partnerships with Payoneer here and they treat us very well. So yeah, that, that was one of the biggest struggles of last year. On top of that, you know, our management structure, Alex and I have worked corporate jobs before, but the other guys haven't. And so 
it's been a little tough getting them on the okay, this is how having employees works, the employees like to be paid on time, we need to make sure that they're paid early, rather, like, you know, you can't do payroll that same day, it takes a day to process, right, so we need to pay them two or three days before to make sure they get it, yeah. you know, just, just normal, like, HR procedures and things like that, these guys aren't as familiar with, so it took a lot of us being, like, fighting with them, kind of like, these are the HR procedures we need to have, we need to follow them to the is team. It, is, it, is it, it's not pushback, it's just them not, Understanding, understanding them, yeah. the importance of it. Yeah, combined yeah. with the fact that, you know, um, especially in, in Andorra, which is a small country, um, Vedas, Mark, and David all lived there uh, and most of their lives. Uh, it's a very different environment, especially for business being such a small country than, say, the U.S. is or the Philippines. So it was just a lot of adjustment. It wasn't so much, I, I say arguing, but really it was just like, okay guys, this is how it works in other countries when a lot of people are involved in businesses, so this is how we have to do it. Yep. And so just kind of like pushing them along, we now have like HR consulting along with our own HR department and all of these things, like setting up proper legal structures and all that were completely foreign to them. So a lot of uh, figuring all of that out, the best way to do it. And, so we restructured completely in the last year. I think that was the biggest headache. We completed that in early July of last year, and so now the last you know six, seven months we've just been running and uh, pretty smoothly. What other difficulties do you think somebody uh, coming to the Philippines wanting to start a business would face? The Philippines has very different HR laws than most other countries. The, the courts always side with the worker more or less. Like, for example, um, we had some contractors that were contractors for a U.S. company. At the time, you know, the U.S. company doesn't know what local tax laws are like, and in the U.S., it's perfectly fine to write employees are, you know, responsible for paying all applicable local, state, federal taxes in any country, whatever. That broad clause works in the U.S. Here it does not. If you don't specify exactly the taxes the employee needs to pay, the government says, oh, you didn't tell them which taxes they need to pay. They don't know even though they live here. Yep. So uh, originally being a U.S. company, moving to a Philippine company where we have to pay the taxes and get that set up, payroll is still very manual here and like checking those calculations, you know, we, we find errors once in a while. Thankfully, they have some automated systems we're getting set up with now that we have all the Philippine paperwork, you know, set up. So like dealing dealing with the local government here is definitely a headache. So yep. yeah, hiring freelancers, good. <laughs> Moving on to a Filipino company, you need to have your HR procedures really what, in place. What about managing managing the employees here? Like what, I mean, obviously this is like, I always say it's probably the most Western, it is the most Westernized Asian yeah. country. Um, everybody speaks English, it's highly educated, all that stuff. But there is differences, right? Like so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, people here are very procedure oriented. Yeah. Um, they generally grew up in a culture where there's a lot of like call centers and things like that. They have their procedures, they stick to them. They don't like breaking procedure. So we've had experiences where pulling some people like that into a startup, some of them rise to the occasion, they really think, oh, how can I make all of this better? How can I work outside the box? Which is what you want in a startup more or less. And others haven't, and they've been like, what's the procedure for this? I'm like, I've never come across this situation before in my life, so let's yeah, brainstorm. Let's try something. And it yeah. scares them. Yeah. So that was, I think, one of the biggest differences. But other than that, I mean, it's, it's been pretty good. We have hired some pretty good people along the way, especially on my team. And yeah, they, they really love their jobs. They work very hard. I got, my, my funniest story is like um, one of them was at her friend's wedding 
she was in the wedding, like supposed to walk down the aisle as one of the bridesmaids. Yeah. And one of our Amazon listings went down. And she's like, guys, I just got the notification. One of our Amazon listings went down. I'm about to be in a wedding. But if no one gets to this, this is on like a Saturday at 2 p.m. If no yeah. one gets to this, I'll be doing it right after the wedding. Give me 15 minutes. <laughs> and like she's messaging us on Slack as she's about yeah. to walk down the aisle. I'm like, hey, I'm on my laptop. Like I was, I had a movie going or something. I'm like, I'm on my laptop. Don't worry. I got this. Just be in your friend's wedding. Nice. But, um, you know, she really, she used to work in a, a BPO, a business process outsourcing center where they were confined to a box, not paid very well, and were basically just told to follow the rules and not make a fuss. Mm -hmm. And now she's in a company where she feels she can make an actual difference and like messages me at all times of the day, like just loves her job. So it's it's really nice to see that. Those are the huge positive things that a lot of people don't talk about. Okay. That's interesting. It's quite similar to China in that sense, like um, process oriented. Mm. So if you're not a micromanager, you're going to struggle a lot in, in that kind of environment. But we've definitely had employees that stepped up and you know enjoyed the fact that they had freedom to make decisions. Yeah. And it's just the difficulties finding those people. And that's know, the and, thing is yeah. you know maybe you hire five and two work out one. Here they they have a very interesting phenomenon. I think this is on the negative side, but. Um, you know, they, they really will go through a process where they hire five people and one actually shows up to work the day that they're supposed to. Um, I don't know why that's the case, why, why even apply for the job at all, but it's, it's even happened to us. Like, yeah. we schedule interviews with people who seem super excited for the job and then they don't show up and they message you at the time the interview is starting, hey, I can't make it, can we reschedule? And yeah. like, those aren't the people you want to hire. I had, I but recently had a situation. I'm trying to hire a marketing manager, and you know, we were we had multiple rounds of interviews, and she seemed like the best, and she similar thing, super excited, everything. We had a we scheduled a meeting to meet in Manila, and like the day that I arrived, radio silence. Two days later, she messaged me saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, you know, I had this family thing and." You know, I don't know if I can take this job anymore, and I was like, okay, it's part of the course, I guess. Yeah, it's that. That's definitely difficult for me. Yeah. Like, if they tell you any time in advance, like, hey, I have this family thing. Okay, yeah, no problem. Let's reschedule. But like, if they're telling you after you're supposed after, to meet, yeah, and and the the, the, just the difficult, the, the more frustrating thing is just the fact that you invest that time yep. into that person, yep. and then you know they kind of just don't respect it I guess yeah. like, I don't know what that is but yeah but I think actually that that goes to another point though I think because the it's a very non-confrontational society I think a lot of times they don't even if they have those kind of issues early they don't want to say anything yeah. and then it becomes too much yeah that's and then they kind of just have to be like oh, I'm not showing up you know or that's yeah. something that took adjusting to like yeah. asking like hey is everything okay you know um, I had a situation where something went wrong and the employee kind of like buried it in their weekly report yeah. somewhere where I wasn't likely to see it that well <laughs> instead of just coming and telling me like, hey, we had an issue with this that we could have fixed more or less immediately. Yeah. But um, yeah, they're very non-confrontational. I think that's one of the hardest things to overcome. But I have noticed that even with those employees, the more you sit down and talk to them, like I, I try to sit down with them more or less once a week say, okay, how was last week? You know, what are we planning to do this week? This is what I want from you. You tell me about how your personal life's going. Uh, I'll assign you readings and educational things so that you can become better at your job or any other skill you want. Um, 
And so like the more you get to know that employee one on one, the more likely they are to be straight up with you. But yeah, they're very shy at first and they don't want to tell you when something's wrong. Alright, so uh, moving into the closing questions. Two parts. What's been your one of your best moments living here and then one of your best moments running off a rock? Wow. Um, best moments living here? Like what's a memory that sticks out, whether it's you know, the first time you went out or you know I mean there's definitely not just one. Like yeah. there's so many memorable nights. We've definitely had a few. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know the the late nights out partying are always fun, but you know the the most memorable is just it's it's the life that I live here. I think about it every day. Like I'm I feel incredibly lucky to live here. I have people that take care of my home for me. I have my dog. I have a girlfriend here. I have uh, basically you know everything here. Um, a great network of friends. Uh, everything that I could ask for and I've I've never had that anywhere else really so really it's it's a conglomeration of everything that makes living here so awesome we've done some cool day trips like places around beaches whatever it is it's it's always a new experience in some way shape or form so I, I can't say one thing that stands out above everything else and then from the business side of things from the business side of things I mean it's it's more or less the point that we're at now right like Every every new day that we move in the positive direction, like is is just awesome. You know, we have we have our bad days. Yesterday we had a bunch of you know shit went go wrong, uh, different things. Nothing specifically related to the business, but like one of my employees got denied a visa and was very sad about it. Transfer wise, closing our bank accounts, whatever whatever it is, nothing affected the core business. And I mean that was that was a fun thing to feel like we're in a position where even if things go wrong, it's managed and we can handle it. Yeah. So like that, that was a good feeling yesterday. But yeah, I mean, just just being where we're at, if you asked me a year and a half ago, I, I couldn't have told you that I'd be here. So I, I can't pick out specific points, no matter how much you wanted me to, Rico, sorry, but just every day here is an adventure. All right. Actually, one thing we, we didn't, they talk about was the acquisition of that company. Oh yeah. Do you wanna you wanna talk about that or? Yeah, that one's an interesting one. So yeah, <laughs> I, I'll, I guess I'll keep it kind of brief. But yeah. uh, I used to work there. Didn't really get along with one of the owners. The other minority owner was my best friend. Uh, is still. Um, <laughs> was after. <laughs> yeah, getting getting to that part. Um, so yeah, we uh, we took over the company. We, the owner that I didn't agree with, you know, we bought him out. He left, nothing from him. Uh, the other one stayed on. We definitely ran into a problem there where he was no longer an owner. You know, we bought the company out 100%. And I think that kind of was not the position he wanted to be in. Um, he's not a person that operates well being an employee and just taking orders. That's just not his style. Yeah, that's that's most entrepreneurs, right? If you start a company, if you do this, like, you don't just mindlessly take orders. And that's, we didn't put him in a mindlessly taking orders position, but we said, you're a sales, you're, you're selling, you're a salesperson, you have to stick to this. Like, yep. you can't just give things out to clients left and right, things like that. But he never really followed procedures. And at the end of the day, I had to fire my best friend. Oh my God. 
What, what was what was that like? What's that conversation like? It it really was just you know we we had been kind of at each other like every week we would sit down in a meeting and I'd be like why did you do this this makes no sense he would try to explain it get mad at us for being mad at him like no I think this is the right way to go and it was it was a difference of vision right but so we kept trying to fix it we kept trying to fix it for three or four months before at one point we I, he realized too um, you know he's a he's a smart guy. He realized he's like honestly this is a relief like I'm not super happy here um, I've wanted to, he had tried to quit before we convinced them out of it ultimately it was it was the right thing for everyone more or less um, well, I think in so general was, um, owners of businesses don't really last long when they get no. kept on if they get kept on it's more of a transitional yeah. thing than anything else like yeah yeah yeah, yeah that, that was more or less the case um, transition was not smooth there were definitely things that should have been disclosed to us that our due diligence should also have found that were not the case because the business was very manual. Yep. There were very, the records were not there. Yep. Um, so yeah, anyway, problems kept popping up. One day we just had to sit down and we're like, listen, we're not happy with your performance. These are the problems that we've had over the last month and they've cost us this amount of money. This amount of money more or less exceeds your salary. So keeping you on doesn't make any sense for us and you know, at first, he was a little nervous about it, and then he's like, honestly, I'm, I'm pretty relieved because he wasn't happy. And so, you know, just like in any breakup, even if it's somewhat on good terms, there may be some emotions there, like... Emotions and some tension. Yeah, so definitely a little tensions, but, you know, things are getting back to normal between him and I. We're, we're doing pretty well. It really does sound like a divorce or... <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Listen, are getting back business to normal. is a, a relationship. It's just like any marriage. Yeah. You're married to the people you're doing business with, and yeah. it's... You know, if that relationship's not right for you, it's better to just call it at one point than to keep fighting forever. Yeah, for sure. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? As I said, I, I couldn't even imagine two years ago that I'd be here, five years, I don't know. Probably still with Alpha Rock. Uh, our timeline for FBA consolidation, we assume to be around five years. So hopefully with a much bigger company, more people, more businesses, more containers at sea every month. You see it being a billion dollar company by that stage? Yeah, that's our goal. You know, of course we talk about what our goals are and the first goal is like a hundred million dollar company and then a billion. If we can get there, like, you know, I, I don't want to sound too lofty or whatever it is, but looking at the scenario that we're in, there's like 400 million roughly uh, of FBA businesses available for sale at the present moment. Yep. Um, that number has continued to go up as more people build their businesses and sell them. So we don't foresee a shortage of businesses to buy. And at one point, we're assuming around six months from now, we'll be at what we call our critical mass, which is basically the profit per month from the businesses is enough to buy a new business every month or maybe every two months at first. Okay. And so once we hit that point, it's really just self-generating capital, self-fulfilling more or less. So. Nice. What is the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the best results in your business? I mean, smallest thing, who knows, like, uh, even before coming here to do this with you, I was a few minutes late because one of my employees found that Amazon had been charging us an extra 38 cents on fulfillment fee that we should have been charged, mm -hmm. which would save us like $1,500 per month from that one skew, more or less. So like, you know, small things happen every day that save thousands of dollars. Um, 
I would say one of the biggest ones is we switch freight forwarders. Like we find a new business, we switch the freight forwarder, and we did this mix where the freight forwarder does not clear their own goods at customs because they weren't getting good rates. So we found a customs broker. We save about eight or nine hundred dollars every time we have a container clear customs, and the shipper charges us like two or three thousand dollars less than the company was originally being charged. Nice. Um, so yeah, once we ship at least one container a month for that business, and that's you know, five thousand dollars more or less saved. Okay. Well, would you say I guess attention to detail? Is that maybe that? Yeah, it's all about finding the small stuff. Small right? details. Yeah. It's. I check everything every day. Like. I will see exactly how many units of everything we sold, which way the ranking is going on a daily or, you know, it, it updates by the minute, but I track at least once a day where everything's headed. Looking for those small things. The other day, Amazon changed categories for like thousands and thousands of items without telling anyone their yep. new category structure. And like, we were all confused until we were like, uh, I think Mark and I remembered one post that we saw on some random Facebook group like, oh, someone complained about a category change. Did everyone's category get changed? Ah, yes, they did. Okay. Here's how we function in the new category, things of that nature. So attention to detail with these FBA businesses is critical, like resizing your package by fractions of an inch can save you thousands of dollars. Yeah. So. We're always looking for ways to optimize. What are three books, uh, blogs, or podcasts that you'd recommend somebody to check out if they wanted to understand you better? So, uh, I really love The One Thing, uh, as far as a book. Um, really good book, really simple concept is you need to set goals and the goal should drive you towards your one thing, right? I, in a sense, I choose one for personal and one for work. So whatever I'm doing is driving towards that goal. So my someday goal is to walk on as many planetary bodies as I possibly can. So that basically means accumulating enough money for a ride to the moon and maybe to Mars, um, based on Elon Musk's plans that should cost around $500,000 more or less return tickets from Mars. Yeah. Um, so, you know, everything I do in business drives me towards just generating capital to reinvest capital. That's the goal, right? That's the or the, the method to the goal. On a personal level right now, my one thing is training my dog. Um, I got a dog, love him to death, but spent a little too much time away from him. He developed some bad behaviors. I'm working on correcting them now. And so that's been pretty fulfilling for me, getting him you know, walking exactly the way I want him to walk and you know, behaving as I would want him to behave. Um, so the, yeah, the one thing, great book, love it. It's for me all about focus and I believe that you can't do too many things at once or you'll lose track of all of them, they'll fall through your fingers. The website or blog that I really like that I mostly agree with almost every point that they make is Wait But Why. Um, I haven't heard of it. Oh man. Um, yeah, I think it's Tim Urban. Okay. Um, yeah, phenomenal. Um, has all sorts of things. He did a three-part series on Elon Musk that included SpaceX, the boring company, Tesla. Really liked all of those things about how the brain works, why we procrastinate. He's on a TED talk about how procrastinators can learn to procrastinate less, if, like essentially by thinking of things in different ways. Yeah. And that that whole website just is amazing. The articles maybe like somewhere twenty thousand words, thirty thousand words, and so they take 
half an hour or an hour to read, but uh, you know, I really like the way he presents things. Really complicated things too, human behavior, all, all sorts of things. Nice. Um, highly recommend checking that out. What were the categories? It was... Uh, books, blogs, or podcasts. Yeah, podcasts. Um, and it, it could be two books, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wanted to pick one from each category. Podcasts, I enjoy listening to the Empire Flippers podcast, so I'm just going to give them a quick shout out because, you know, it tells us a lot about our business and the state of the industry, as well as learning from CEOs of other businesses. I didn't know that they had a podcast. Oh, yeah. it's. I, uh, I definitely have to check that out. They have different uh, business owners on there all the time. Like, um, one that was really cool was uh, the CEO of Mercury Bank and uh, all sorts of things. But uh, I listen to a lot of business podcasts, so that one's pretty great, as well as... Um, on a more personal level for productivity, I'm a huge, in, hugely into productivity. I really like Cortex. It's by CGP Grey. I'm not familiar. He's a YouTuber. Not sure if you're familiar. Um, he had. Have you ever seen Humans Need Not Apply? That video about how automations can take over the world yeah, and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he made that. He has a YouTube channel with a ton of like random videos about cool things. Um, really, really like his podcast Cortex. It's all about productivity. Like how to most efficiently organize your email inbox, like calendars to use, productivity tools like checklists, Asana, nice. uh, all sorts of things for managing your businesses. Um, and yeah, related to CGP Grey, also YouTube, Kurtz Gazette, if you haven't checked them out, they're really awesome. They explain some of the most complicated things you could imagine, like string theory in really simple ways with amazing visuals and they're just nice to listen to. The narrator has a great voice. So. Nice. Check it out. Some people say I have a nice voice as well. But, you know, well, it's, uh, you got the late night DJ voice. Yeah, exactly. Right? I have the the radio, uh, you know, smooth jazz yeah. hour. You know. <laughs> All right. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about? When are uh, when are you going back to China or full time in Philippines? What's what's the deal? Uh, I'm full time here, man. I'm here. Like uh, I was. I think I told you the other day. It was like I was in the gym and I just had like a realization. I was like, yeah, I'm. I'm here, like I'm not, like I'm about to sign a one-year contract on an apartment and pay a deposit like tomorrow. So yeah, glad sh- to have you here. Shit man. is real, man. Shit is real. <laughs> All right, man. So if people want to reach out to you or Alpha Rock team, where can they find you? You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, David at AlphaRockCapital.com. Email. Uh, I'm not super active on social media in terms of posting, but like if someone shoots me a message, I'll, I'll do my best to check it within 24 hours. So nice. Yeah. Me a message. Thanks for being on, and this is yeah, uh, this is a dope interview. I should have we should have set this up earlier, but uh, enjoyed. Uh, all right, thanks, man.